Today, we're continuing in our series in Nehemiah. Rocco got us up to a terrific start last week. This is a, um, a rather quick survey of the book. Um, we're, we're doing it in just a few weeks. There's uh, lots of material in here. And uh, I know from speaking with Rocco that he was a bit frustrated that he couldn't spend more time on uh, some of the great lessons there. He had a whole thing he would have loved to do on the, the gates in the walls and, and uh, all the lessons that are there and some really interesting material there. And, uh, but it's a, it's a quick uh, run through Nehemiah, and yet even in a quick run, we can discover a lot of uh, good and interesting things. Today, I'm taking four chapters, four, five, six, and seven, but I think we'll get through them. Uh, we won't dwell on the, the many wonderful things in here, but uh, I've chosen one particular uh, focus, and there's many ways that we could do this, but I've chosen one particular focus for today, and that is I want to look at what the characteristics of a good leader are. And of course, the leader I'm thinking about is Nehemiah. We'll learn eight things, eight things about about um, a good leader uh, from this book. And there's probably even more than that I, uh, some that I've missed. But uh, as we read through this, uh, we'll, we'll find these. So we were introduced last week to this man, Nehemiah. And uh, we, we discovered that he was uh, the cupbearer, a very high position, the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes I in uh, Persia. And that uh, through a series of events, Artaxerxes packed him off to back to Jerusalem to uh, oversee the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem, which is in ruins at the time. The wall had been torn down when Nebuchadnezzar had carried off the people of Judah into captivity 150 years earlier. So it had been in ruins for a long time. 150 years. And from little clues that we get in this book of Nehemiah, uh, we can sort of picture what it was like. The place was, was just a mess. Ezra had overseen the rebuilding of the temple, but the wall was still torn down. And it was just rubble. You know, when they break things down, tear down walls, they just leave big stones and blocks lying around. I remember when Fiona and I were in Israel, uh, there's a place you can go uh, um, just down from the Wailing Wall a bit where they've, where they've dug out part of the wall when it was torn down by the Romans in 70 AD. And you can see the big blocks and it's just, it's just a mess. It's just like a uh, big, ugly uh, mess of blocks. And so it had been like this for 150 years. Nothing had been done about it. Nobody had tried to fix it, and that's what Nehemiah was there to do. So we'll look through these. Uh, <clears throat> we'll look through these chapters in um, uh, in order. I'm just going to read through them. I'm not going to read chapter seven, and you'll see uh, why when we get there. If you want, you can flip forward in your Bible, and you'll see why I'm not going to read chapter seven. But I'll have a comment on it when we get to it. <clears throat> Characteristics of a leader, most people actually have a leadership role in their life. Um, whether it's uh, an elder 
in a church or a pastor or a minister or a priest or the Pope himself, whether it's a, a community leader, um, uh, someone in state government or national government, whether it's a, a teacher in a school or uh, a teacher in a Sunday school class, whether it's a father to children or a mother, uh, most people somewhere in their lives have at least one leadership role. So as we go through this, don't just think to yourself, oh, well, that applies to, um, let's say, elders, for example. No, it applies to virtually everybody. Not only that, but everybody, with no exception, has a leader in their lives. One of the people that I've just mentioned, whether you're a child in a school or in a home, whether you're a person in the church, whether you're a citizen of a country, most people have leaders. And I'll make this point again at the end, but <clears throat> it's very easy to criticize leadership. In fact, I would wager that we've all done it to one or another of our leaders. We have negative things to say about our leaders. And I think it's very helpful as we go through this and as we think about what makes a good leader, to think in terms of our own leaders and in the future to be very careful about criticizing leaders because maybe they're actually exhibiting good characteristics and maybe the things that we don't like or that we're complaining about are actually things that make them a good leader. Certainly some people would have complained about Nehemiah and yet he was an excellent leader. So let's walk through <clears throat> walk through these sections. I've I've broken it down into um, the sections. I I just took the sections that were uh, where the ESV breaks it down, but um, other breakdowns are possible. What I'll do is I'll read the section. I'll have a few comments on it, and then we'll look at one or two characteristics of leadership. We'll do that for each section. We'll just make our way through the passage. So let's begin in verse one of chapter four, and I am reading from the. Uh, ESV, English Standard Version. Now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and Give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward 
and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space between behind the wall in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So Sanballat was uh, the governor uh, at that time. He was in Samaria. Um, He's a a pretty interesting character, actor. He's mentioned by Josephus, and and you can read that. You can look at Josephus, and Josephus has quite, uh, you know, he was the one who who wrote uh, the Antiquities of the Jews um, uh, um, thousands of years ago. He was a historian, and uh, he has some very interesting description of Sam Ballot. Sam Ballot was a, kind of a slimy character, and uh, he had uh, been loyal to Darius, Artaxerxes' grandfather, uh, for, a, for a certain amount of time until Darius was in trouble, and then he switched over his allegiance. And... Um, uh, managed to wangle himself the uh, governorship of uh, Samaria. So there he was, and he thought he was the big cheese there in Samaria. And uh, he his first reaction was just to jeer, to just uh, laugh at the Jews for what they were doing. Tobiah was his uh, his right hand man, his henchman, and uh, and he took up the jeering as well and talked about. Uh, the fox walking across that wall would just knock the stones off. Such a pathetic wall. Um, <clears throat> but then when uh, Nehemiah started making some real progress on the wall, and it was up to half its height, Sanballat was uh, starting to get a little bit worried. He was starting to get angry uh, that the work was actually proceeding and that they were actually achieving something. And he, he got a little more aggressive. And uh, he actually planned to come come physically and stop the work when taunting and jeering didn't work. He planned to come and actually kill some Jews and sneak up on them and uh, come at night, perhaps, and sneak in there. And, you know, it was it was easy to get in because the wall wasn't finished and there were lots of gaps and places where the, the doors hadn't been hung in the gates yet. It would be easy to sneak in there and and kill them and completely demoralize them. But notice what happened. Nehemiah, well, what was Nehemiah's first reaction? He was, he prayed to God. That was his first thing. He bowed his head. I think that was in verse uh, four. Hear, O our God. He spoke to God. That was his first reaction. He spoke to God. And, uh, And then 
he spoke to the people and he said, here's what we're going to do. You're being reviled. You're being taunted. And uh, you're actually being threatened. Somehow he found out about these plans of, of Sam Ballot. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to build the wall and we're going to protect ourselves. And he set up a whole system of, of protection with uh, whatever weapons they had available. And he stationed people, uh, if I'm understanding it correctly, next to the gaps in the wall. There were gaps, of course, uh, certainly where the gates were going and perhaps in other places. And so near those gaps, so for easy access, this is the place where um, Sam Ballot would have to come in and sort of hiding down behind the wall, he stationed people. And they were there, and their, their purpose was just to sit there with their weapons and wait in case there was an attack and jump out and, and uh, repel the attack. And we'll see, by the way, that Sam Ballot never attacks. Um, he, he found out that... Uh, that this was happening and, and he didn't attack. So I'd like to suggest that our first characteristic of good leadership is that a leader does the right thing in the face of, of reviling, in the face of jeering, in the face of taunting, in the face of threats, a leader does the right thing. Uh, and what was the right thing in this case? Well, it was a two-step process. First, he spoke to God. A good leader, a good Christian leader, speaks first to God, brings the problem to God. But a good leader also responds and prepares, prepares a defense. And this is a very interesting theme uh, throughout the Bible. This idea of, um, of, of doing things in the will of God and yet doing things along with God. It was an old uh, uh, cliche kind of Christian moniker when I was when I was a teenager. It went like this: uh, "Let go and let God." You ever heard that? "Let go and let God." And I came to realize after a while that it was it was sort of the wrong thing to say: "Let go and let God," because God expects us to do something. He expects us first of all to let go. That is to to uh, approach him and saying, God, I have this problem and I put it in your hands. But then he expects us to act and do something and, uh, and he will be there. And notice that that's exactly what Nehemiah said to the people in that last verse I read in verse 14. He said, remember the Lord. He said, here we're going out and we're going to protect ourselves but remember the Lord. It may seem feeble to you, but remember the Lord. It may seem that we're not doing much with our pathetic weapons and our broken down wall and, and uh, uh, just getting out there and protecting ourselves against this powerful man. But remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers. And that was exactly the right thing to do. And that's exactly what a leader should do. Respond to God and then set up the defenses. God will help, but he expects us to do our part. Let's continue in verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. 
From that day on, half of my servants worked on the construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work and half of them held their spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. So it says here that Nehemiah uh, split his own servants 50-50. It may, he may actually be suggesting that he split everybody 50-50. But certainly these preparations that he was making for the defense of the city, in addition to building the wall, would have slowed down the work considerably. In fact, he has a description there of one of the laborers working with just one hand and holding his weapon with the other. Now, that's really going to slow down a laborer doing that kind of thing. The wall's going to go slowly. But he does it anyway because it's necessary in order to, in order to protect himself. He has to do both jobs at once. Um, I would have been very frustrated in a situation like that because I have a one-track mind. As Fiona will tell you, I can only do one thing at, at a time. And uh, if she tries to speak to me <laughs> doing one thing, then I don't hear what she says because I have a one-track mind. I couldn't have been a builder and a defender on that job. Give me one or the other job. Notice also that they worked very hard. These people were working very hard. And I think that that was in no small measure due to the fact that uh, Nehemiah was, was such, such a good leader. The second characteristic that I'd like to suggest for a good leader is that he protects his people. He protects the people that he's a leader over. Now, not all, not all leaders do that. Many leaders are in a position just for power or money. And they don't really care about the people that they're leading, as long as they don't get in trouble. This is, happens all the time in corporate America, where your boss or your boss's boss doesn't really care about anybody. As long as you get the job done, uh, as long as he doesn't get in trouble, he doesn't care about you. But a good leader really cares about his people and cares for them and protects them. And that's exactly what Nehemiah was doing that. Um, Notice, by the way, um, well, no, uh, he, uh, he, uh, he did several things. First of all, he kept a constant guard. He, his, he was vigilant the whole time. He armed people as best as he was able. And he reminded people that God was on their side. Um, and, and I love that description of 
the nighttime. He brought people in at night. He protected them. The people that were outside the wall, and it was a, it was a you know a large area. You could you could be outside the wall, um, but he would bring them in at night for protection, and they were part of the protection, and they were vigilant. They slept in their clothes, and they they set up guards. They took turns, I assume, uh, guarding the walls at night, and so so this would have. Uh, been a great inspiration for the people because Nehemiah cared for them. He cared for his people and he wanted to protect them. And so in this way, he was a great leader. Now, chapter five, which we're going to go into now, is um, we'll get back to the building in chapter six, but chapter five is is kind of a uh, a sidebar. Uh, And it tells us about a couple of issues that Nehemiah had to deal with in addition to trying to get the wall built. So it's not like Nehemiah came back and there were 100 or 200 or 300 eager beaver workers all ready to rebuild the wall. There were problems in Jerusalem at the time, and he had to deal with these problems at the same time. As we see him dealing with these, we'll see more characteristics of a good leader. Chapter 5 and verse 1. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved but it is not in our power to help it for other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words, I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them. And I said to them, we, as far as we are able have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So maybe he, he may, 
so may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. The problem that he was dealing with here was that those among the Jews who were nobles and officials were taking advantage of their poorer fellow Jews. And they were exacting taxes from them, and they were demanding uh, some of the uh, fruits of their crops to the point where they couldn't afford to even own their properties anymore, and they were having to mortgage them. And these these people were uh, very much suffering. Uh, so he was not, when he came back to Jerusalem, returning to an ideal situation where everybody was living in harmony. Not only did he have this job of mobilizing them to build the wall, but he had to deal with this problem that the ones who were better off were taking advantage of the ones who were worse off. And of course, this has been true throughout all of history and we see it uh, everywhere. We see it in our own communities, in our own country, where those who are wealthy take advantage of the ones who aren't. Amazingly, when he challenges them with this, They say, okay, and this is not typical. This is not typical when you challenge somebody who's uh, got a position of power and authority and money and is exercising his own greed. It's not typical for him to say, you know what? You're right. I'm going to give back everything that I exacted from the people around me. Uh, Just try Try telling the Russian oligarchs that we've been reading about, telling them that they need to uh, give back all of the uh, wealth that they've stolen from the Russian people. Imagine what their reaction would be. A good leader does not tolerate injustice. Now, think about... Nehemiah was was really on task. He was really focused on this wall. And there was this other problem there. And he could have left the problem alone. He could have said something like, this is not the best situation. But, you know, it's the hand I've been dealt. My focus is on the wall. Let's get the wall done. And then maybe we'll deal with that later. He could have done that. But he was a good leader in that he would not tolerate injustice. That this had a very high priority. You could say it had a higher priority than the wall because he took a risk here in terms of the wall building to deal with this issue. It well could not have gone the way it did. The nobles could have resisted and they had lots of influence. They could easily have uh, tightened the screws more, made it more difficult for those who were doing the labor, uh, effectively shut down the project. So it was a risk he was taking. But he was willing to take that risk because he understood God's priorities. God is a God of justice. And if there's any theme that just rings through all of the scriptures, it's this theme that God is a just God, that he loves justice. He loves rightness. He loves righteousness. And he hates oppression. 
from of one person by another. And often that results in poverty. And he, he hates the fact that there are the, those in the world who are poor because other people are stepping on them. Nehemiah understood this. He understood about injustice. And this was a problem that he had to take care of. So he took that risk. Here's a good characteristic for leaders. A good thing that you can look for in a leader. Does the leader that you're looking at tolerate injustice? Now, here's something else that we learn about Nehemiah in chapter 5 before we get back to the wall. Chapter 5, verse 14. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. Former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us, from the nations that were around us. Now, what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep, birds, and every 10 days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, oh my God, all I have done for this people. So we learn here that Nehemiah was actually appointed the governor of Jerusalem for a 12-year period, presumably starting when he got back, uh, from when he came from, uh, from Artaxerxes uh, to Jerusalem and, and proceeding for 12 years. He was uh, the governor there. And he's trying to make the point here that... Um, uh, he's, I think he's contrasting himself with these nobles who, these in unjust nobles uh, that he just dealt with in the previous verses. And uh, uh, it's, a, it's a bit of tooting his own horn, I suppose, as he, as he says these things. But it's very important to, to understand that. And he's writing this down for the record uh, uh, for, for future. And, of course, uh, we get to take advantage of that. While he was governor, um, he didn't take uh, the food allowance for the governor. So I guess the governor had a food allowance. Um, It was expected that he could demand food, a ration of food from the people. The people would, I mean, this is just a tax, basically. Uh, He didn't lay heavy burdens on the people. He didn't exact heavy taxes. His servants didn't lord it over people. And he regularly fed an additional 150 people 
And it wasn't just uh, all the, the nobles that he was feeding, but it says in Jews, he was feeding people from all walks of life. He had a large table, uh, an ox a day. Uh, that, that's a big animal. And uh, he was feeding enough people that they, they went through a, a whole ox and six uh, choice sheep and a few birds. Every single day, uh, he was feeding so many people. So one thing I'd like to say about leaders is that uh, they set an example. So in that first part of chapter five, he tells us what the situation was like with the nobles and officials. In the second part of chapter five, he shows us what he did. It's a, it's a contrast between them. And <clears throat> so in the first part where he talks to the nobles and say, you can't do this. This is wrong what you're doing. In the second part of the chapter, he lives what he spoke. He sets an example for the people. And I think this is such an important characteristic of a good leader. He sets an example for the people. Here's a simple example of that, which I, which I often think about. Police. We've got police. Uh, we've all got police in our neighborhoods. And how many times have you seen a policeman ripping down the road? He doesn't, he doesn't have his, his blinkers on or a siren or anything. He's just trying to get from point A to point B, and he knows that he can't get a ticket. So he's just ripping along. The other morning when I was out for my early morning walk, and I walked before, before the, the uh, sun comes up, uh, so it was dark. It was pitch black out, and I was walking up Westfield Road, and uh, well, often the cops go by. They're sitting there waiting for people to go faster than 25 miles an hour. And so he, he drove up the road. He was going way faster than 25. And uh, he got up the light. I could see the light up at the um, uh, way up ahead. And uh, he stopped at the light. It was red. And then he turned left. Well, I mean, there was no one there. But, you know, that's what I mean by setting an example. Leaders need to set an example. I've often thought that about the police. That One of the great things that they can do as policemen is to act the way they want people to act, is to do the things that people are expected to do, is to avoid the things that they're out to get people for doing. But of course, that doesn't always happen. And we hear about police corruption and police brutality and so on. They're not setting an example. A good leader sets an example. And we can, we can think of examples of leadership in this country that go all the way to the top where they've set terrible examples, terrible personal examples in their lives. And, uh, and it has an effect on the people who are their followers, who are subject to them. It has an effect. It lowers the tone. It lowers, it lowers the expectations. It, uh, it sort of introduces more and more sort of moral chaos as they don't themselves set themselves a high standard. A good leader sets an example. Well, if you're counting, that's four. We've got four more to go. So let's move into chapter six now, and we'll get back to the wall. Let's talk about the wall again. Now, chapter six and verse one says, when Sanballat 
And Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. Sanballat and Geshem said to me, came to me, sent to me, saying, uh, Come, let us meet together at Hakafirim on the on the plain of Ono. I can't help thinking to myself that um, Nehemiah said, oh, no. Anyway, sorry. Um, But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers, messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Samballot for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you may have, as you say, have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now... Oh, God, strengthen my hands. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mahadabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him. But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose, he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalad, O oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So Sambalad keeps trying. There's a new tactic. Let me get rid of, instead of attacking the Jews who are building the wall, let me get rid of Nehemiah himself. Here's what I'll do, he says to himself. I'll invite him to a meeting. And we'll meet out in the open in the plain of Ono, and uh, and we'll just uh, strike him down. That was his plan. And uh, Nehemiah was was not exactly uh, a sucker for that kind of um, plan. He realized that this was uh, completely disingenuous, so he just sends back a note saying, "Sorry, I'm too busy. I'm too busy building the wall." to come out and meet you and, uh, and have a pleasant discussion 
around a cup of iced tea. So uh, Sen Ballot goes away and he stews about it. He tries four times and it doesn't work. Uh, he gets the same answer every time. So then he goes away and he, he comes up with another idea. This idea is <clears throat> that he's going to uh, make it known, presumably to Artaxerxes himself. Uh, he Remember when, when you were a kid and your brother or your sister would say to you, I'm telling on you, I'm going to tell on you. Well, that's what Sam Ballot was saying. I'm going to tell on you, Nehemiah. There's rumors going around that you're setting yourself up to be a king. And then once you're a king and you've got those walls built and you've got a place to protect yourself, you're going to rebel against Artaxerxes. I'm going to tell on you. I'm going to tell him that this is what's happening. What does Nehemiah do? Well, he just says, no way, Jose. He's very comfortable. He's very confident. Not to mention that he was a cupbearer to Artaxerxes. So he's, uh, it's, not, it's not as if, um, although Sambalat may have known that, actually he may have been trying to take advantage of that. But uh, Nehemiah is very confident in what he's doing. Uh, he sees through the plot. Uh, he realizes that there are no such rumors, that uh, the only rumors are just coming from Sam Ballad himself. And so he, he, um, he says no. Quality number five is that good leaders are impervious to threats. Like we might say idle threats, because it's not like the earlier threats of Sam Ballad actually trying to come and kill people. Uh, didn't cause him to act. He did act on those, but he didn't act on these. He was impervious to the threats. He realized that this was an idle threat. He was savvy enough. He was a good leader. He was savvy enough to realize that this was an idle threat and there was nothing that he should do about this. And he focused on the task at hand. And he basically uh, largely ignored Sam Ballot, other than other than a, a couple of, of small um, notes that he sent to it. It actually occurred to me that uh, there's an interesting comparison here with um, uh, with the Lord when Peter comes and, and asks about uh, how many times he should forgive, and the Lord has those famous uh, verses in Matthew chapter 18 where he talks about the process of resolving conflict and, and forgiveness. And uh, if you remember the first, uh, and of course that passage ends with um, those famous verses um, uh, where two or three are gathered together, there am I in their midst. But the process that he's talking about there starts with, uh, you go to the person, you go to the person. If you've, if you've got a problem with somebody, you go to them. And uh, there's, there's sort of a, a, a bit of an analogy here where to resolve this problem with these threats, he doesn't call a council of the people that are around him and uh, say, this is what Sam Ballad is saying. And, uh, and it's not true. You know, these rumors aren't true. He just goes directly to Sam Ballad. He just says, Sam Ballad, you're wrong. And he presses on and he ignores the rumors, he ignores the threats. I'd like to also suggest another quality of leadership, 
And that is um, in uh, uh, um, at the end of that, where there's this plot to uh, uh, get him into the temple. Um, it's uh, he, what does he say? Um, should such a man as I run away? In other words, he saw through the plot, but he realized that to go into that temple, to protect himself, to shut the doors and protect himself, to look after himself, would be perceived as an act of cowardice. And indeed, it would have been an act of cowardice with all the people exposed out there and send ballot maybe comes in with weapons. And he goes and protects himself. Um, they probably, well, anyway, so he goes into the, he, he, he says, I won't go into the temple. He stands bravely outside. He stands his ground. And I would suggest that another characteristic of a good leader is that he's brave. Nehemiah was brave in this instant. He, he, could, have been, he could have been a coward. He could have listened. And I'm sure they, they made sort of, They pressed him on this. It wasn't just a suggestion, but they pressed him on it. And he could have succumbed to it, but he didn't. He stood his ground. He realized, again, that his people were in danger, and he was going to be in danger too, and he was going to stand bravely with his troops. And How many many military campaigns have there been throughout history where, where the leader of the troops fought with the troops and stayed with the troops and was brave? Um, many other campaigns where the, the leader stays in the back. Um, very often, maybe in more modern warfare, that's true. The generals stay back. But in the olden days, if we can call them that, uh, you know, the king would go out with his men and he'd fight with his men. And he was brave. Um, and that's a characteristic of a good leader. And now in verse uh, um, uh, six, uh, 15 of chapter 6, Uh, This will be our last section that we'll read. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. (laughs) And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, In those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, and his son, Jehoanan, had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. So there was a connection there. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him and Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Now, when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors, appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts, some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses 
had been rebuilt. 52 days. That's how long it took. Less than two months. Massive job to build that wall. And they built it at half speed because they had to protect themselves and they got it done in 52 days. And the people, the surrounding nations recognized that the hand of the Lord had been in this. He must have been in It's a miracle. It's a miracle. 52 days. But you know what? Nehemiah didn't rest on his laurels. And he organized the continuing guarding of the gates. It wasn't over. And he continued to guard. Leadership characteristic number seven, he shares power. You notice how the leadership in Jerusalem, he passed on to those two men, Hanani and Hananiah. Maybe predecessors of Hanan over there. Hanan is in both their names. Um, he passed it on to them. A good leader shares power. Now, this is a really interesting and important point about good leaders. They, sh- they share power and they pass the baton. A good leader passes the baton. And how many cases do we know uh, in, in our own lives and at all levels of the disaster that happens when people don't pass the baton and don't share the power and want to hold on to power. Um, And finally, uh, I'm going to say leadership characteristic number eight is that uh, the leader watches over his people with vigilance. Now, that may sound like uh, number, number two, which was a good leader protects his people. But in number two, I was thinking more of uh, responding to a threat, protects his people, he responds to threats. But this one, number eight, has to do with the ongoing protection. He doesn't sit back. A good leader doesn't sit back. But he or she protects, constantly protects, is constantly vigilant all the time. I think of the mama bear image. A mama bear cares for her child forever, for her whole life, is constantly vigilant. A good leader is constantly vigilant. Well, we've come to chapter 7. We read a few verses there. Now, we, I'll read one more verse, verse 5 of chapter 7. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first. And I found written in it. And then there's a whole lot of verses there. 68, I think it is. 68 verses. Now, it's really interesting that you can go back and compare this to Ezra chapter 2 which is almost word for word identical to this. So remember when he said, who came up at first, I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at first. What he was finding was the book that Ezra wrote. And he's just quoting it. He just copies it. Now you might wonder, is it exactly the same? Well, it's pretty close. It's pretty close. 
And if you want, I've got, I did a nice uh, comparison verse by verse here. I've got it all written out, but um, of course, I'm not going to say anything about it. Uh, there are a few small differences here and there, and, and you can you can now look at this if you would like to ask me, I'll show you, or I can email it to you if you like. Um, uh, there are a few small differences, but basically it's exactly the same list. And he reads that list, and it's very encouraging, and once again tells us how important it is in uh, in their sight and in God's sight to recognize the people that have uh, that have done the work, and. Um, so let me finish up by just listing those eight characteristics again, in case you were taking notes and you didn't get them all down. Uh, number one, a good leader responds well to reviling. Number two, a good leader protects his people. He responds to threats. Number three, he does not tolerate injustice. Number four, he sets an example for his people. More could be said there about parents, right? Parents as leaders, setting an example for their children. Number five, he's impervious to idle threats. Number six, he shows bravery. Number seven, he shares power. And number eight, he continues to watch over his people with vigilance. So let's take these to heart in our own lives in whatever position of leadership we are in our positions of leadership, but let's also be ready to uh, temper our own criticism of the ones who are over us when we realize that maybe what they're doing, what action they're taking, is because they have one of these good characteristics. Maybe it's because not because they're a bad leader, but because they're a good leader and they're exhibiting one of these characteristics. Easy to criticize. Let's not criticize. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, you are our leader. Uh, I suppose, Lord Jesus, that if we wanted to find the good characteristics of a leader, our best thing that we could do would be just to read through the Gospels. But um, you've given us uh, this great man, Nehemiah, who in so many ways exhibited uh, the characteristics of a leader. And we're just uh, Astonished again today, uh, 2,500 years later, at the 52 days it took him to achieve this, this uh, monumental task in the light of uh, the difficulties that he, he encountered when he first came back to Jerusalem. Uh, and he worked through them all, and uh, he, was, uh, he would have been a joy to have as a leader. And uh, we pray for our leaders, as we say every week here we we encourage one another to pray for our leaders we do pray for them that that they would exhibit these characteristics that they would be godly men and women and that they would uh, do all of these things help us also to be very careful with our own tongues and our own criticism and to uh, look for the uh, the good in our own leaders thank you lord jesus for leading us today and uh, we look to you to lead us in the coming week that we might walk in your steps and follow you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.